This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. The world isn't wide enough. Get immersed in the expansive views of the 48-inch customizable panoramic display in the all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid. Explore more at Lincoln.com. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. This episode is brought to you by J. Crew. This spring, J. Crew is telling a linen love story. From perfectly rumpled beach cover-ups and effortlessly sexy suiting to button-up shirts from the world-famous Baird McNutt Mill in Ireland, the new J. Crew collection is made to be shared, lived in, and loved for decades and generations to come. Shop linen like you've never seen it. And more new arrivals for spring 2024 at jcrew.com. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello, welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Tom Marvin, one of the technical editors at Bike Radar. Uh, today we're speaking to Benedict Scullison, who is the CEO and founder and engineer um, at Lauf Bicycles. Um, so it's going to be quite an interesting chat. We're going to talk about Lauf, uh, their gravel bikes, their new gravel bike that we've just been riding, uh, as well as sort of how the whole company came about, how they developed things, and, and looking at the gravel scene in general as well. So, Benny, how are you getting on? I'm good, thank you. Thank you. A bit beat up after yesterday's uh, ride, to be uh-huh. honest. But it was a wake-up call, good wake-up call, yeah. start of a season. Yeah, very much yeah. so. Yeah. Uh, where, where were we riding yesterday? Uh, so we were, so it's actually, yeah, in English, it's, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we could have guessed the conditions because it's called the swamps. Basically. The swamps, yeah, okay. Yeah, Miratnar in Icelandic, so it's the swamps. Uh, and in the summertime, it is dry and, and fast, but, but this, yeah, it was heavy yesterday. It was pretty bogging in places. I think yeah, uh, you yeah. described how the the top surface of the road is thawed out a little bit. There's some ice frozen sort of 10 mm-hmm. centimetres underneath, and there were certainly times when it was uh, pedalling through treacle. Exactly, exactly. So, but yeah, but but it's a it's a nice area. There is like good scenery and, and stuff. And so it's yeah, just an hour away from from here, Reykjavik, mm-hmm. southwest. Cool. And the day before we did uh, we did a quick fifty k sort of warm up lap um, somewhere yeah. else, which was very windy. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's the typical weather around here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we we went up one side of a valley uh, with yeah quite a savage cross headwind. But to be fair, we, we, we sort of turned turned right um, over a, a bridge to sort of cross the other side of the valley. And all of a sudden, we 
almost tripled our speed. Yeah, with yeah. No discernible increase in effort. And I like instantly realized that yeah, this is why I love this sport. I was like, shit, what are we doing here? Yeah. And like, yeah, now I remember. <laughs> <laughs> the fun bits. <laughs> yeah, the fun bits. Yeah, we could go then the day after had like none of those bits. It was just like paddling <laughs> through mud it was, what, yeah. five hours, six hours. It was, it was a lot of pedaling, non-stop pedaling, I think. Yeah. But it's like gravel. Gravel is everything. Yeah. It's, it's all things. Yeah, exactly that. Um, so what were we riding? So we're here for the the, the launch of the Segler. So yep. we'll talk a bit more in, um, in depth about about the new bike uh, in five or ten minutes' time. But um, brief summary: give us a give us the highlights of the new bike. Of the bike, so it's easiest to describe it like uh, relatively compared to our True Grit. Okay. Um, so it's basically this bike is all about like maintain. So we don't want to. What we absolutely did not want to do was to make a drop bar mountain bike. Okay. Uh, because there's like, yeah, there's nothing special about that, we think. Uh, what we wanted to do was to make like a, yeah, a gravel bike as fast and as like nimble feeling as the True Grit, but with like loads of tire clearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so loads of tire clearance. And then also, I mean, what people have been talking about about the True Grit is that obviously, yeah, we have our forks there in the front that people yeah, might be familiar with. And uh, that give like, yeah, much more comfort in the front than, than what we had in the back of mm-hmm. the True Grit. And we wanted to balance that out a bit as, as well. So we like designed this system for the rear triangle of the bike, basically, and the top tube to, to give some compliance there. Okay. could talk about it for hours, uh, but like the essence of it is the True Grit, just with loads of more tire clearance mm-hmm. and more compliance at the rear. Okay. So that's basically, that's a highlight. Uh, a, a more comfortable gravel race bike. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So maybe for a, a bit of context for our listeners who maybe aren't aware of, of Lauf, the brand, I guess the best known product is the Grit SL Fork, uh, which is a 30 millimeter leaf sprung gravel suspension fork. We'll talk about the evolution of, of that uh, in a minute, but um, if you want to get more information on the Lauf True Grit, that was uh, my bike rider long-term bike in 2021. Um, so there's plenty of information on there as well as reviews of that. And of course, the new Segler, there are news stories and a first ride review at the very least on Bike Radar as this is released. So um, it'd be worth having a read of that. Um, head to bikeradar.com. You'll find the pod plug for this podcast on there with all the links that you're going to need. But yeah, so let's start at the beginning, Benny, then. We don't need a life story, I guess, but uh, <laughs> we we first sort of met probably six or seven years ago um, with the TR Boost launch. Yeah. So you had a 60 mil mountain bike, uh, XC Marathon fork, yep. Um, yep. and we came out to the launch of the, the Boost version of that. And we learned a bit about the brand from there, and things have obviously developed. So tell us a little bit about where you've come from yeah, um, yeah. and how you came up with the concept of leaf sprung suspension yeah so uh i mean honestly we were like all along we were trying to make a gravel fork but the, the, there were no gravel bikes mm-hmm. back then so uh, icelandic perspective on this so icelandic mountain biking back then so this is 11 years ago so it's almost a life history it's a big part of my mm-hmm. life at least by now uh so back then i mean mountain biking was basically gravel riding yeah so the biggest biggest race in Iceland is what you would definitely like classify as a gravel race today, mm-hmm. and, and that was the biggest mountain bike race here. So so they, to me, cycling was just that that okay. race, uh, and and like performing as well as possible in that race. That was my goal. So that that was my thinking uh, basically behind that fork. So I'm an engineer, uh, and I was like I was fascinated by composites just in general. So which is carbon fiber, glass fiber, that mm-hmm. stuff, Kevlar and whatever. 
basically, so my my love for and or enthusiasm, yeah, or love for for composites, just the things you can do with them, it, it's it's incredible. Uh, that landed me a job after I graduated. Uh, landed me a job with Usher, which is a prosthetic company. They make okay. prosthetic feet. Uh, because that was like the only company in Iceland making anything like high-end out of composites. Okay. So I started working there, but it didn't last long because like before I knew it, I, I had like, I had been like witnessing what is possible uh, with prosthetic feet. I mean, how much you can make them flex mm-hmm. the carbon feet. Uh, and I was like, shit, okay, the bike industry is getting it somewhat wrong here. They're only using this to make stuff light. Uh, while I was seen at work, like doing like two million cycles on a foot, like massive uh-huh. information, like shit. Okay, this we must take advantage of this somehow. Yeah, which led to the like the the first concept of sort of the love fork, uh, which we applied for a patent a patent for got that patent eventually, mm-hmm. uh, and like and then it just has been yeah a, a labyrinth like uh, past yeah the way around obstacles and and, and yeah trying to ov- overcome. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Ever since, so yeah, eleven years later, still here, here. we are. Yeah. So the 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 fork itself, well, there's two legs that come out of the front, and they project further forward than a traditional, um, say, suspension fork leg. Uh, and then there are two sort of dog bone shaped rear links that are connected to those front legs with a dozen glass fiber springs. Yeah, yeah. So it. Uh, to the eye, it, it probably looks, uh, it, it even looks heavy probably because there's like more surface on it than, mm-hmm. than a suspension fork, but it's like, it's crazy light in comparison. It's almost like half weight uh, and it looks complicated probably to some as well. But that's like, our, our main ethos is like simplicity, basically. If you really look into it, that fork, it doesn't have any moving parts. Mm-hmm. So I think trying to like go more and more into that, uh, like our hunt for simplicity is going like further and further to gain some like performance in the bike without doing something that requires maintenance or, uh-huh. or, or adds weight. Pivots and bushes Pivots, exactly, and friction exactly. and things like yeah, that. Yeah, and like the rear compliance on the Sigla is like the perfect example of that. And mm-hmm. also actually the handlebars we've, we've had for a few years now. The smoothie bar. The smoothie bar, yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, they look like completely like unremarkable. It's, it's just a handlebar. But like they, they really do something more, I would, I mean, yeah, more than than other bars. They they really have compliance built into them, mm-hmm. without making something like weird and and, and like gimmicky into sure. it. Sure. And 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 then we have like the same thing going on at the rear now on the Sigla. Yeah. So we we've got the, the TR Boost mountain bike fork with sixty mil travel, which you say was sort of built to tackle Icelandic mountain biking, which in effect was, I guess, gravel riding. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the gravel bike boom kind of happened six seven years ago things like really really exactly. kicked off so were you at that point were you sort of like rubbing your hands with with joy like hang on we've got this product or did it take a you know how did you move on to creating the next product which yeah. was the the grip fork yeah it, it was a bit like that we were like almost just standing there with that product in our hands so like now we have the application for it uh-huh. because like the, the issue had been that i mean uh, we got like raving reviews from 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 some. They they like absolutely loved the mountain bike forks because they were doing gravel riding on it. Uh-huh. But but I mean that was never a major market. And all those that like reviewed it and, and intended it to be, uh, or thought it was supposed to be a mountain bike like all out mountain bike fork, they 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 hated it because it's just it's not that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, all of a sudden like you had you had a bike with a drop bar that like screams this is not a mountain bike yep. so nobody's gonna expect mountain bike like performance traits in it 
So all of a sudden it was just like spot on. And, and mm-hmm. that was, yeah, we acted fast in like downsizing the concept to, uh, concept to make it fit gravel bikes. Okay. Uh, and, and ever since, so this was in 2015, 16 that we made the first gravel fork. Yeah. Uh, and ever since it's been like all about gravel, mm-hmm. basically. That the, yeah, that we became a gravel bike company in late 17. Mm-hmm. And that was with the, the launch of the True Grit. So you had the Grit SL fork, which was a, a 30 millimeter sub kilo suspension fork designed specifically for gravel. You know, like a, a gravel axle, is it a 15 by 100 mil axle with, was it post mountain or was it flat mountain at that point? Flat mountain, flat, flat mountain, mountain from the start. Yeah, yeah, the there was, yeah, there was a fresh standard then. So we were like, straight one in of the on first it. two, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so say then in 2017, you bought out the True Grit, which I think you, you emailed me about, you, you had a product launch coming up or something, and we weren't expecting a fork company to bring out a bike. It was a bit no. of a, was it a step into the unknown for you guys doing that? What 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 made you think, no, hang on a minute, we can do this? Not so much. Yeah, exactly. It was like a, we had like an epiphany, basically. So all of a sudden, we just realized that, hey, we... By now we we had like we had learned everything that that needed to be learned to mm-hmm. to make a full bike because we had been like working with composites uh, for all this while and making the fork and the fork is in itself a much more complicated like uh, product than, than a bike frame. Okay, a bike frame is more like I mean it's it, it's all known it's it's, it's all standards basically mm-hmm. then you just like like piece them together the the way you want them so you don't really need to invent anything like straight out there. Uh, so like technically we realized that it was relatively easy and, mm-hmm. and, and the fact that we had been then, then for a couple of years like putting our gravel fork on, on all these different gravel brands. So we like unknowingly we had been studying the market like mm-hmm. <laughs> like pretty like massively. We had been writing everything that was out there. Uh, okay, so you were buying bikes from different brands and putting yeah. the Grit SL fork on there. Yeah, with, without ever like having the intention of, of making a bike frame. Okay, but it was, this was just like a part of doing the fork, yeah. and trying it out and making it fit this bike and that bike. Uh, but it was always like it was, yeah, there were a lot of factors like pushing for that bike. For instance, it was always annoying to make our forks comply with like all the different bike frames, all the different head tubes and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like when we moved to our own bike, we, we could finally like make the fork we wanted. Okay. Uh, I mean, one point, I mean, for example, just like the head tube, the shape of the head tube, mm-hmm. no, or the, yeah, the steer tube on the fork. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could completely decide how that, that should be. Like, have okay. like an integrated crown race and, and do all the things that just make it a better fork. But at the same time, maybe, eliminates yeah the compatibility with some other brands but at this point we don't care which mm-hmm. is super nice yeah okay and so talk us through the concept then of, of the true grit there there's there have been a few race specific gravel bikes the 3t explorer is possibly the one that's maybe best known for that you know an actual yeah. aero gravel bike but i guess a large portion of the gravel market something that we see in the uk is a bit more sort of for the adventure you know there's there's lots of mounts on them there there are kind of a bit more sit up and uncomfortable in adverted commas whereas the true grit is you know something you described it as, as a race bike yeah yeah i mean we, we are definitely so i would say like the, the the bikes that influenced us were the likes of yeah you mentioned the 3t exploro uh, and and obviously when you think of that bike you think of the open up mm-hmm. uh, from the same guy basically uh, and then you had the niner rlt rto carbon bike and, and the salsa warbird so these bikes basically, but, but like, I mean, 
without like putting them down. And mm. I mean, with all of those bikes, there were things that we didn't like. Okay. Because it yeah, didn't fit our, our yeah, needs or, or, or desires. So we basically took what we liked the best from, from, from these. And then what we did that was pretty, uh, yeah, almost like radical at, at the time, we, we, we infused like more mountain bike DNA into, into the okay. bike than the others. So, which at the time meant, yeah, a slacker head angle, longer top tube, shorter stem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, so the thing is, it's like a balance act. So we wanted to make a bike that is stable, but at the same time, it should be fun. Mm-hmm. And how do you do that? Is that our way of doing that is like, it's like choosing where it should be stable. So it, to us, it's really important that it's stable up front, mm-hmm. uh, but in the rear, not so much. I mean, you can gain stability by lengthening the chain stays, obviously, yeah. uh, but by making them shorter, you make it more lively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by making it lively in this way, you're not compromising on downhill confidence as much as you would be if you make it like lively in the front. Okay. So, so it's that balance, I think we, did that significantly yet differently Mm -hmm. from others. Sure. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com now and save 40% site-wide. 40% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Seed. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is a broad-spectrum probiotic and prebiotic formulated with 24 scientifically validated strains for whole body benefits, engineered for maximum delivery to your colon, helping to support a healthy heart, maintain optimum cholesterol balance and lipid metabolism, as well as reinforce an optimal gut-skin access to promote clear skin. Visit seed.com Spotify and use code SPOTIFY25 to get 25% off your first month. One of the things I sort of wanted to know is, as a you know, Lauf is it's a small company, yeah. and I don't know, I don't think that's a yeah. a fact that can, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, there's a, there's a team of what ten of you, seven, eight, ten, yeah, give or take, yeah. So, and you're obviously very, very connected to the product itself. You know, you've designed it, you run the company, the people you work with are because it's so small, everyone is so connected. How how do you, this is. Slightly different from what we we're talking about, I yeah. guess. But how do you deal with sort of any criticisms? How do you take that? Is it a personal thing or criticisms? Uh, like say the TR, you know, the, the the mountain bike fork. Yeah. When some maybe less favorable reviews came out, was that like a? I, I mean, as long as it's like uh, uh, true, I mean, uh, we just try to build on that. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, I mean, uh, I mean, we and we never had issues with with. With any like like I mean nobody has been like unfair to our products that I can remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I mean as long as it's like that, it's just uh, something to build from. Yes. Mm-hmm. So and, and thankfully, I mean, like the 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 mixed reviews they came in at first, and and and, and I mean obviously we 
we just didn't know what we were doing well enough. I mean, we, we were a young company and, and it was our first product. Mm-hmm. So obviously it wasn't gonna like hit all the right notes yeah. right away. So, but thankfully, I mean, we haven't uh, had much of <laughs> criticism over the, over the last few years. It's been pretty much solid. So yeah. Mm-hmm. You've been enjoying it. Yeah, I've been yeah, basically, yeah. And that's how I deal with it. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah I enjoy it. So obviously, um, the True Grit has been, uh, I think it's fair to say, quite a successful bike for you guys. It's certainly pretty big uh, in the US uh, with sort of the the gravel scene out there. You know, you're sponsoring some big races this year, the, the gravel worlds. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily fair to say that the True Grit has been without some criticism. Um, certainly as... And I think it's probably more come to light as gravel as a discipline has evolved because, you know, gravel is still fairly new, right? Yeah. And, you know, the, the rate of change of, of how gravel bikes are, are developing has is, is been really fast. Um, and so I wouldn't say that the, the true grit has been left behind at all, but I think some of the criticisms have come to light in recent years, and those would be relatively limited tyre clearance at the rear, yeah. Yeah. Um, skinny seat tubes, and... I guess these things have led to the the developments and the changes that uh, we've come to see with the Segler. Yeah, 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 most definitely. Yeah, tire clearance when the True Grit came out, like that was considered massive. The yeah, tire clearance on it. As well, forty-five C clearance. Yeah, yeah. And shipping was, with forties. Yeah, yeah. That, that was big at the time. At the time, they were shipping. Uh, most other bike brands were shipping with thirty-five yeah. or so, uh, and and like um, forty was considered big yeah. back then. So I think like the gravel, the way it has evolved, I think, is that back then people were still like thinking of capable road bikes, mm-hmm. uh, and the bike, I mean, as as shipped, the bike should should be yeah should be able to fit in into a group ride, mm-hmm. a group road ride basically. Mm-hmm. So back then, I mean, all your friends were were riding road, and 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 you probably like having friends, so you you wanted to ride <laughs> with them rather than just always being out on your own. Yeah. Uh, but what's happening now is that I mean your friends are now riding gravel, uh, so now gravel is its is its own thing. It's a distinct yeah. genre. Yeah. So it can like finally it's it's free so to speak. Yeah. You can like be lyrical, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it's free. So so now we can make the best gravel bikes there can be without like needing to like stick to the yeah. road thing too much. I mean we should hold on to the good stuff from road. I mean mm-hmm. the fast position on the bike. Yeah. Thing. Snappy handling. Yeah, snappy handling. Yeah. Uh, but still like infuse that with enough. Uh, stability up front mm-hmm. and fitted with the tires that are fastest and, and we know this like i mentioned earlier uh, the blue lagoon challenge mm-hmm. here so in that race i mean it, it's yeah it's been a huge event here like with thousand participants every year which is a lot yeah, in the yeah. country yeah this small uh, it's like one out of 300 icelanders takes part yeah so so that's pretty crazy so people have known there for years that that like for that events like two to 2.1 inch wide tires okay. 29ers they roll the fastest mm-hmm. in, in the gravel there, and it's, and it's fairly rough gravel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the thing. I mean, the wider tires just become faster as the gravel gets a little bit rougher. Yeah, yeah. And so that's that's where we come then with the seg- with the cycle cyclist cycle. I'm so yeah. sorry. Yeah. My, my Icelandic <laughs> is not what it once was. <laughs> I guess you know one of the one of the first things I sort of really noticed with the True Grit when I first rode it, or even it might have been on on the when we had the grip fork was having that compliance at the front of the bike highlighted that you didn't have it at the back. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So let, let, let's talk about the, the Segler then it's, um, it's 
it's not replacing the true grit, but it's going to, at the moment, sit alongside it. Yeah. Um, and I guess over time... Yeah, it will, it will take over eventually. Eventually, but yeah, there's no yeah. rush for that. No, no, there's no rush. I mean, the true grit is still doing very well. Yeah. So, yeah. It's so. going to fit. There's going to be a lot of people who, who want that sort of the skinnier tire, the, the more road. Yeah, the more classical aesthetics maybe, like yeah. the, the, the higher sheet stay look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the the it has drop seat stays, which obviously has been a massive thing in, in road cycling and in gravel bikes. You know, drop stays are sort of the thing for the past couple of years. But yeah. I hadn't really sort of considered a huge amount about how it works or why it works or which bits exactly flex and all that sort of stuff. But you, you described it um, on Monday night when we were sort of looking at the bike for the first time, you know, where what's flexing where. So do you maybe want to sort of talk us through this, the engineering, yeah, yeah, not exactly. the bike, but the engineering of a yeah, drop stay and yeah, how it works? Exactly. Yeah, 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 my pleasure. So the thing is, I mean, yeah, like you say, I mean, it's, it's been super popular on road bikes mm-hmm. for, for, for a long while now to drop the sheet stays. And this is almost exclusively for aeroness but what you can also do when you drop them is is to use that to get compliance and and like and this is similar to i mean you've seen bikes like the trek iso speed bikes uh cannondale uh, with the kingpin. kingpin yeah the topstone. topstone exactly yes uh and and and, and more bikes that that rely on basically uh, the seat post flex mm-hmm. uh, the saddle can like move back and down a bit to give you some some compliance and, and by dropping the seats, if you do it like, as I would say, correctly, uh, if, you, if you drop them a bit and, and then you make sure to accommodate for, for some twist at the top tube seat tube junction. Okay. So if you have like a slim back portion of uh, the top tube, mm-hmm. and preferably like we have a, a standard seat clamp. Mm-hmm. So if you have like an integrated seat clamp that like bulks up that, that junction and, and okay. stiffens it up. Uh, so if you, if you have uh, like a skinny rear end of the top tube yep. where it meets the seat tube, uh, then you get like a virtual pivot basically out of that. So you basically get the ISO speed pivot without actually having a pivot. Okay. Yeah. So and whenever you like put weight on the rear of the bike or mm-hmm. when you have like a big, yeah, big force uh, in, into the rear tire and the, and the rear tire, that's channeled into the seat stays yeah. that then push the seat tube inwards. So, okay. so the seat tube gets bent a it little bit. Bows inwards. Yeah, bows inwards. Yeah. And then and that makes uh, the saddle to tilt backwards. Yeah. And from that you get increased comfort. Okay, because you get both a rearward and a vertical displacement of the saddle. Yes, yeah. But, it, but the thing is you can't do too much of this. This has like a, a limit. Okay. Uh, because it, it's like uh, there's some undesired movement in there as well so the, the back and forth doesn't do anything for you okay because i mean the, the forces that are coming from the ground they, they come straight up sure uh, and your back and forth movement doesn't help anything like in, in dealing with that uh-huh. uh, so like in this configuration like uh, when you're using seat post flex you always get them yeah the both of them backwards and, and, and downwards mm-hmm. uh, so if you do too much of this it will give you tons of comfort but then you'll just like being pushed too far too far back okay. And like the position on the bike gets weird, and then it, it, yeah, it, it's too much funk basically. Right. Okay. Yeah, so it's like yeah, units of comfort per unit of funk basically. Uh huh. So what we do on the cycle actually, we play around with that ratio basically. We get more comfort per unit of funk, so to speak, mm-hmm. by tilting the seat tube. Uh, so it's it's like you see it immediately when you look at, at the bike in profile. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we push the seat tube forward uh, and then tilt it back. Yeah, so the, the base of the seat tube is further forward of the BB than it is on the true grid. Yes, exactly. So it doesn't like, so this wouldn't be uh, UCI legal 
because in UCI you need to have like you need to be able to draw a line from the center of the bottom bracket sure and up to the top of the of the C tube so that's probably the reason it, it's not done on bikes right okay yeah yeah and and gravel bikes are still like limited by their like association with road bikes sure. so people think they should look like that yeah uh, but like doing this gives you yes significantly more comfort in the bike mm-hmm. uh, while it also like limits the the rear movement right okay. associated with it yeah, yeah because you get more of a vertical component because it's it's like yeah because it's tilted back so sure. it's actually i mean the effective seat angle is, is standard it's the same as on two true grit 72.5 yeah. degrees but like the actual like slope of the seat tube on this bike so yeah. first it's offset and then it's like tilted back to 69.9 degrees right, okay. so it's significantly yeah, yeah, yeah so this is something that you know like our mountain bike listeners will be very well versed in the difference between yeah. the actual seat angle and an effective exactly. seat angle but you know yeah maybe the the road cyclist is it's a less common measure to talk about effective seat angle yeah, because yeah. of so okay and we're using like an inline person now we're not bothering with a layback or anything like that yeah exactly no no yeah it, to me it just doesn't look efficient to have a setback post mm-hmm. it's just like it's taking like a detour towards where it wants to get um there are two other sort of if you're looking at the the new bike there are two other areas which are potentially interesting we'll talk about the slight changes to the the fork because it's yeah, it's they're, they're nominal, but they're, yeah. there's changes that have been made. Yeah. But I guess the other sort of thing that stands out is the chainstay bottom bracket junction. You have yeah. a, a huge carbon plate joining the two. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we do basically, uh, so as we described, or I described earlier, is that, that we wanted to like fit the maximum tire in the bike yeah. without making it longer in the rear. So okay. it's, it's still the same short 425 chainstay. Right. Uh, which, which is shorter is, than like a lot of endurance road bikes even yeah yeah exactly and, and it's shorter than most of the other gravel bikes mm-hmm. in the market but still we're able to fit like significantly wider tires than those uh, and that's because we yeah, do a few things like you say we have like, the, the chain stay on the drivetrain side it's solid now okay uh, so it's a solid plate in, inside of it so the, yeah there's, there's no hollow segment there uh, so that so it's up. thinner in, in in depth. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it's uh, about six millimeters in, in width uh-huh. rather than nine point five, which was already like pushing it yeah. on the true grit. That was nine point five. So that like yeah, that bias is three point five millimeters, like times two, obviously, because mm-hmm. it's like on the other side as well. Yeah. So that gives us a ton of clearance, and then also we like completed the step of just like yeah, completely abandoning front derailleurs. Right. Uh, and, and in doing so, because I mean, nobody was riding them on our bikes. We, we uh, only spec'd one bike. And, and like at first, I mean, we had a lot of customers that, that, that like wanted to fit a two by two with them, mm-hmm. wanted us to add that spec, but it's less and less and less. Mm-hmm. So the market is basically coming to where we have been with that. Okay. Which meant that we could like completely eliminate it. And then we don't need to like reserve these 2.8 millimeters that we will always mm-hmm. have to for an inner, inner chain ring. Mm-hmm. So those two things, yeah, plus the fact that we use actually, we use a slightly wider BB. Right, You're using a BB73. Yeah, BSA, yeah, BSA73. So that buys us five millimeters more in tire clearance. Mm-hmm. So uh, well, all these things added up, I mean, you can fit a 2.25, 29er in there. Yeah. So which is, yeah, to me, I mean, it's, it's pretty, yeah. It's a big pretty, tire, it's yeah. Pretty, yeah. It's pretty tight in there with that tire, but yeah. so maybe our UK listeners might want to, um, consider a slightly narrow winter because it will clog but yeah, yeah. you can easily fit you know we've, we've ridden them with um 50c tires in there 700 by 50 and yeah it's like plenty of room space for that yeah sure okay so this like the spec so the 2.25 you still have about six millimeters like at, at the at the yeah where the marginal is the is the lowest sure you still have six millimeters of space 
which is sort of like the required space to have around the tire. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And speaking so of this of the, the vertical displacement, you know, all this has culminated in giving this comfort. And you're saying it's about four millimeters. So uh, it's it's threefold compared to the true grit. So basically, uh, when I like, yeah, admittedly not in race shape, but yeah, when I sit on on this bike with my full body weight, basically it, it gives like four to five millimeters in flex. Okay. Like downwards, so measured downwards. Vertical yeah, flex. Yeah, yeah, vertical. Yeah, towards the rear axle. Yeah. While the true grit has roughly one third of that. Okay. Uh, and we've actually, without like mentioning like any particular mm-hmm. uh, competitors. But we like measured competitors that use like yeah mechanical solutions and and the res- and result is basically similar. Okay, which but is sort of what we were going for. Yeah, yeah, but with no pivots and yeah, nothing no to pivots, worry nothing. about. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, in terms of, of the fork, I guess uh, we can rattle through the, the changes there, but it's still thirty mil. The shoulders of the fork have been broadened to allow those bigger tires, um, and especially when the fork compresses, obviously. You need that space around there because you have to fit the tires in there. Um, so it's got an axle to crown length that's eight mil longer than previous, yep, but you've true. lopped three mil off the head tube, so it's uh, about a five mil increase in stack. Uh, no, three increase in stack. Ah, three, so oh, five mil off the head tube yeah. and three increase yeah. in stack. Yeah, gotcha. true. So that so it's, it's like very marginal differences then. Yeah, really. the stack is basically the same. Yeah, oh man, yeah, within yeah, arrow margin almost. Yeah. Um, and you, you can buy that fork aftermarket. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you can stick it on your own bike in yeah. theory. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, so that's the the, the Sega, which we'll be reviewing on Bike Radar. So you can look out for reviews on that uh, in the coming sort of weeks and months. Is it fair to look a little bit further forward? I want to talk to you about the the general gravel market, where you see things going in the future. And I, I guess that ties in a little bit with a story that we reported on a couple of years ago, uh, the patents that Lauf has. Um, which is for a full suspension gravel bike yep. using um, glass fiber springs. Um, I'll put a link in the, the pod plug on Bike Radar so you can have a look at that. Uh, I don't think it's any secret that, that it's it's in the works. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I, was, I guess we were sort of half expecting that to have been launched this week, um, but it feels like the Segler's sort of, uh, I don't think a stepping stone is the right thing, but how did you describe it? You described it as like the fruits of, of that development process. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, this is what came out of the process, like the R&D process behind like the, the full-blown rear suspension. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, yeah, back to the rear suspension. So I talked about what you do on the on the SIG, like gives you a lot of like compliance in the rear, but uh, like eventually we limited how far we can take it because yeah, mm-hmm. it, 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 it adds too much rearwards uh, motion on the saddle. Yeah. And also, if you want to do more, you would need to add like a bigger proportion of it at the axle rather than just the saddle. So you're not just like bouncing on top of, of the bike. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's what we're like aiming to do next. Mm-hmm. So give you even more compliance and do it more at the axle rather than the saddle. Okay. Uh, which is even better. But, but that's like, a, but while it's like, it's better suspension, uh, but it's still, it's more, I mean, it, it doesn't have like wearing parts, but it, but it has like parts that mm-hmm. like, there are more components to it. There's mm-hmm. more weight to it. It's a more extreme bike. Yeah, uh, and and it will definitely be more polarizing. I, I don't see like a lot of stuff in in the Seg Club becoming polarizing. I think. No. I mean, in my opinion, it's just like a it's a logical next step. Yeah, from from the other one. Yeah, and it doesn't look 
No, particularly wild. No, exactly. it looks good. Like, you know, yeah, aesthetically, I think it's it's a good looking bike, but it doesn't yeah. look out there. Like when the fork came out, you know, like that turns yeah. heads. Yeah, there's nothing nothing heavy to swallow basically yeah. there. It's just that yeah, if you like the true grip, I think you're gonna love this. But like the rear suspension, that will be a bit more polarizing, mm-hmm. which will be exciting mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to that. And we've made several prototypes. The thing is, it's just, it just takes far more time mm-hmm. to to develop that than we what we have yeah would have liked. Yeah. Uh, because of many things, it's, I mean, COVID hasn't helped yeah. exactly. It's harder to like visit vendors and like really push it through with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just like the load that has been on, on vendors, I mean, been uh, yeah, in over their heads basically, supplying mm-hmm. the demand. And then also just the fact that, I mean, yeah, relatively to yeah, most of many bike companies, we're still small, we're way bigger than what we used to be. Mm-hmm. So now we cannot just like make something, like throw it into the market and then, then troubleshoot it. Right. Not that we did that like exactly, but I mean to some to a degree. I mean now we need to test way more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean if we say if we like would sell like two thousand rear suspension bikes, uh, only to find out that in three years time there's like a crack in the paint or whatever. I mean that could be difficult. Yeah. Well, what is the process of of bringing a new product to market? I mean obviously like this could be a podcast in itself. Yeah. So the bare bones, you know, how do you go from sort of drawing board to to release? I mean, it, it depends on, obviously, it, it's super dependent on what you're doing. So, I mean, as for the Sekla, it was like a relatively simple process mm-hmm. uh, because it's shapes changing. So we're not adding, yeah, of course, I mean, radic function, but still nothing that needed testing above the ordinary. Sure. Uh, so, I mean, since we have the same geometry, actually, we honestly didn't need to test it that much for mm-hmm. like the riding characteristics mm-hmm. because they're mostly the same. Well, in like the rear suspension project i mean we preferably we want like a, a full year basically of just riding that and trying it out okay uh, just one of them or we have <clears> like three or four yeah or? like a fleet a small fleet yeah, yeah for a few of them definitely are you looking to get one well, yeah, yeah, i'm happy to <laughs> i'll put miles on bikes yeah, give yeah. me a little shroud to put around the junction so no one knows what it is and, yeah yeah well, i'll around yeah yeah do that look in, let's look into that <laughs> so and then, I mean, then it's just the mold. So we have an excellent vendor in Asia. So they're exceptionally good. Uh, so we do all the 3D in-house here. Uh, and then they turn it into a mold, actually. Okay. And then, yeah, they design the mold around that shape. Uh, and they come up with the first, like, layup designs. Mm-hmm. So it was different for the fork. For the fork, uh, we made, like, a big part of the layup design because it was very, like, unique to us. Mm-hmm. So we were like showing them how to make like the pockets for the springs and, and like explaining how we wanted this and that. Mm-hmm. Uh, while with a bike frame, I mean, chances are that they are going to know better. Sure. Because they make like 500,000 frames a year or something yeah, for yeah. like yeah, many big brands and all. But it's always it's still, it's I mean, it's always preferable to, to visit and, and like like mm-hmm. point that stuff. And, and, then, and then eventually sometimes they can come up with something even better when you like get their attention on stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and that so this process so from like our 3D drawings being complete, it can be like between six and twelve months uh, mm-hmm. until you get like a bike to to write. Okay. I mean, if if you like, if you're able to like push play like right at the beginning, if if you're sure that you you you'll manufacture that bike mm-hmm. that you have in the drawing, you can probably do it in 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 a little over a year or so. Okay. Yeah, so it's 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 a length of progress, a lot of a lot of twiddling thumbs. Exactly. So I mean, so if you take a project like the rear suspension one, mm-hmm. so our next iteration will involve like yeah, finishing another 3D mm-hmm. uh, and then like making the molds and making the bike and all that, mm-hmm. uh, only to find out that that probably some detail we want to change afterwards. Sure. 
so we have like they're like maybe nine months or so for this prototype, and then we need to write it for a bit, and then we have another nine months, so it so it quickly adds up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're looking at like three years or something, even though we have something that I already I mean, we we already have stuff that uh-huh. is like very much writable, but it's it's still something like this. Yeah, three yeah. Years. And in, in three years' time, then where where do you think the the gravel market as a whole is going to be? Like it's it's developing so quick at the moment. Yeah. What are we going to see? I think so. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. It's not just to push this bike, but but I honestly I think uh, it will gravitate towards something like the Segla, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, I mean I think we shouldn't see tires getting wider than this. Two point twenty five is a lot of tire. Yeah, uh, and it, like I mean to be honest, I mean that tire, I'm not gonna ride it on two point twenty five no. every day. So I'll probably roll on fifties for the most most part, and then when I go to, go into a particular race that demands more than mm-hmm. then, then I'm able to fit it mm-hmm. uh, but like the trade-off is is not always like beneficial when you when you go go that high in in, in entire width so we're not going to see too much of that but honestly it's hard to tell mm-hmm. I mean because I mean gravel things it, it's uh, gravel riding it's it's so many things yeah it depends on who it's you are it's very diverse from from the bike packing all the way through yeah. to aero exactly. yeah exactly I, I think I mean this like the vanilla Gravel segment will become this, I think, like the 45 to 50 millimeter tires, mm-hmm. somewhat race able, somewhat comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you have like the bike packing stuff, obviously, mm-hmm. and, and, and and yeah, aero gravel bikes. And, and it's going to like, it will be like a, a massive just spectrum of, of all things. I mean, mm-hmm. there won't be a line like defining below this line is a road bike and, and above it is a gravel bike. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at, yeah, say for example, I mean, the, the, I know the track road bikes, some of them, they can, some of them can fit basically gravel tires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, is it a gravel bike? Is it a, is it a road bike? Mm-hmm. So, and this is to me, this is what we yeah, are one of the things that make gravel so interesting. It's like nobody knows. Mm-hmm. It, it's just all over the place and, and depends on what you want. I mean, honestly, it just depends on that particular probably race you, you are participating in, mm-hmm. uh, what gravel biking is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Do you see any um, on the product side of things? We obviously, it feels like one buy is now pretty dominant in gravel bikes. Yeah. It feels like you know there's there's suspension products out there and and that are definitely coming along as well from you know mountain bike manufacturers who are you know looking at the gravel market and thinking there's opportunities there. Is there anything that we haven't seen yet on the tech side that you think we will? I think I mean rear suspension will be a thing and and yeah I, uh, so. I haven't seen like I haven't seen new concepts popping up lately, mm-hmm. but I'm sure. I mean, brands will try to push more into that. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure because the advantages are are significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then then it's always like the the uh, I think the fine art in gravel is like doing so without making it into a heavy mountain bike. Right. So that's I mean to to gain something without sacrificing uh, something yeah, more. Else. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Okay. The past couple of years have obviously been uh, a tricky year globally for pretty much everything yep. that's been going on. Um, yeah, I, I'm lucky that I can speak to a lot of different bike companies from the biggest in the world to you know small one-man bands you know, churning out very customized products. And you get a very different story uh, in both positive and negative ways, depending on who you speak to with regards to what's happened with, with covid and supply chain issues and the growth in cycling and the demand and the pressures that that's created on everything from manufacturers like yourselves through to OEMs. Um, 
as a as a smaller brand but not tiny i guess now how have you managed to cope with it what what have been the challenges what have been the opportunities has it been you know from a pure business sense and ignoring all the tragedies that have happened you know yeah. has it been has it been a good couple of years for you guys or has it been hard you know what's the what's the story it's been so uh, so honestly no one will ever know so in, in our case how much of it is like covid related and how much of it is like uh, what we ourselves have have been doing mm-hmm. and our promotion and 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 maybe uh, our direct to consumer shifts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, we've seen like massive growth over the last few years. It's been uh, I think uh, this year is the fourth year in a row where we are doubling. Okay. Uh, which is yeah, I mean, I have admittedly starting from a fairly low point, mm-hmm. but but still it, it's getting significant the growth. Uh, and to us, it's been of course it has been. I mean, it's it's a, in a way it's a zero sum game basically. Uh, I think uh, for for a brand like us, uh, it's probably good that that things are thrown up in the air a bit uh, because that like it levels the playing field in in some ways mm-hmm. because like the established ones they already have shit figured out mm-hmm. basically and they're just like on that on that path. Uh, but whenever that path gets like smudged out and and then they like us need to find a new way forward basically yeah uh, and then it's good for us to be a, a smaller and more dynamic company so we were able to like act fast on things so like commit to orders like like quickly and and way ahead of time okay uh, so we i mean uh, the trickiest thing has been drivetrains for the most part mm-hmm. we, we, yeah we are very lucky with our suppliers in general but like drivetrains we were able to plan like very far ahead uh, and 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 honestly, it's been it's been running fairly smoothly for us. I mean, obviously, I mean, it's far easier to plan when like delivery time of a drivetrain is 30 days, sure, as it was with SRAM. Uh, now I don't know what it. I mean, maybe a year or year and a half or, or something yeah. now. Uh, but like I said, I mean, it it's the same for all the others. Mm-hmm. And if we tackle it better than them, it's actually a benefit. Mm-hmm. So end of the day, actually, I mean, uh, it has been tough, but the end result has been very good. So okay. so probably it, it has worked in our favor. Yeah. One of the things that's always struck me, and I, I don't know whether, I don't say it's in the wrong way, but, you know, when, when I've talked to you about, you know, your stuff, whether there's a, a pinch of sort of, you know, you, you, you're trying to sort of show the brand off in, 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 in a positive light and stuff, but it feels like you've had good... Um, access to and relationships with some of the, the biggest OEMs. On the way here, we were chatting about the, the shift from a 68, uh, you know, BSA 68 to a 73 mil bottom bracket shell and, and how SRAM, you know, may, may well have had one by cranks with longer axles in the works, but you asking for them kind of, it maybe prompted them to, to supply them to you. Yeah. You're a small brand and yet it, that sort of story implies that maybe you have a little bit of a little bit more influence than maybe your size would suggest. Do you think having a product that came to market that was pretty out there and is still utterly unique gives you a an advantage or a, a benefit or gives you sort of a, a, a slightly bigger standing when it comes to those OEMs rather uh, than sort yeah, of churning out like a generic Taiwanese exactly, frame or exactly. whatever it is? I think it gives us some... some yeah, I like to think that it gives us some credibility that, that mm-hmm. we came up with something that that nobody believed in. Only yeah, to turn out uh, yeah, dare I say yeah, successful yeah, a few years later, uh, and and basically to be a brand that that is trying to go their own way, mm-hmm. 
uh, and and figure some stuff out. And and like like yeah, in the case of SRAM, thankfully we are. I mean, I think we are very well in tune with one another. So it's it's very uh, we are very well suited to what SRAM is making. We are mm-hmm. all about the, the simplicity of OnePy, uh, the simplicity of the wireless stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's just a happy marriage that way. It just works mm-hmm. works fluidly. Uh, and and so I'm I'm happy that I mean some guys at SRAM are riding our bikes. Okay. Uh, that I know of. And and obviously this this probably helps. I mean I mean this is like a relatively easy thing for SRAM to do sure. to make a, a longer. I mean relatively, but still it, it's 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 not trivial. Mm. Uh, I mean things need to be tested, etc. Mm. Even though it's just a longer axle in, mm-hmm. in, in a crank, but it's still it's still it's a change. It's and a machine has to be made for yeah new parts. And so, and so yeah, it's a skew into the catalog and all that. So maybe I mean yeah maybe some credibility from from having pushed the boundary before and 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 this is. I mean, they were already making some other like wide axle cranks, but mm-hmm. just just not the most high end ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we like maybe opened their eyes to the fact that those would become in demand. Mm-hmm. So they put their money on that. And also, I mean, obviously, I mean for them, it's probably a, it's an added benefit, and that, that doing so means that we are not cap- uh, compatible with with uh, Shimano GRX. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. So, so it's a win win relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Excellent. Well, I think we'll. Um... We'll tie it to a close there, mostly because I've run out of questions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you so much uh, for your time chatting to us today, and uh, thanks for hosting us out here. It's been it's been a good couple of days. We've done some good riding, and certainly looking forward to riding the bike quite a lot more in the coming months. For Bike Radar listeners, you know, don't forget that you can find out a lot more about the new Segler bike on BikeRadar.com, um, and also there's plenty of information about the True Grit as well and the Grit SL fork on there as well. Um, if you haven't subscribed to the Bike Radar podcast, please do so. And if you can leave us a review, if you've enjoyed the podcast, that would be great. It really helps us grow the podcast uh, and reach new audiences. So, yeah, thank you very much, Ben. Thank uh, you. Super. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bike Radar.